Today's program has been brought to you by Underground Meats, an American producer of handcrafted salami and cured meats in Madison, Wisconsin. For more information, visit shop.undergroundfoodcollective.org or stop by their butcher shop in Madison, Wisconsin. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live from a birth pizzeria in Brooklyn. Uh, Bookwick, Bookwick. I wish it was Bookwick. That'd be awesome. Imagine if it was just all bookstores out here. Yeah. But it would all be hipster books. Yeah. Bushwick, Brooklyn, on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday from roughly 12 to roughly 12.45. Joined, as usual, Nastasha the Hammer Lopez. No Piper today. Piper is working on the Searsall project, which is fully funded. Yay. Joined also, uh, although, listen, people. I gotta be honest with you. Like that's the that's the goal we set. But uh, Stas, tell them, tell them the sad truth. If we only make our goal, what happens? Oh God, we barely break even. Not even. We yet. Don't even break yeah, even. it's not about breaking even. though. it's about getting Sears all to people. But uh, we got some exciting news uh, on the Sears all. We'll talk a little bit uh, later about some things that we're gonna add to stretch goals. Maybe later today. Some ideas that we're working on for it. In case you people care. And for those of you that don't know about the Sears all. The Sears All is now definitely going to happen because our Kickstarter was funded. Go on Kickstarter and look at it if you haven't already. It, uh, it's an attachment that turns an ordinary torch into a powerful handheld broiler that can finish all kinds of low temperature. In fact, I would go so far as to say that, especially if you're at home and you don't own a deck broiler, if you own a, uh, a circulator, you should probably own a Sears All, right? When you yep. Says that? Yeah. yep. Joined in the studio with Jack and Joe today. How you guys doing? We're good. We got Evan here, too. New engineer. Hey, Evan. How you doing? Booth. How are you enjoying the show so far? Uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, I, mean, I haven't really said anything yet, so it's nice, though. It's, it's nice. See, it's like, <laughs> start, you know, like if Nastasha was an engineer, she'd be like, I don't really know. I don't, I'm not paying attention. I don't really care. That's what she would say, right? Wow. wow. Yeah. yeah. Nice. I, I, I guess that's why she doesn't have that job, though. Well, he's in the honeymoon period, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, great. Okay. Uh, a little update, uh, quick from uh, Tom Fisher's uh, the ongoing saga of Tom Fisher's eggnog. It's been aging. By the way, Stas, our eggnog's been aging, right? Yeah, we tried it yesterday. Uh, hey, thanks for letting me have a taste. But listen, you sit, weren't there. Uh, in fact, I was. You could have given me a taste when we were loading out. Anyway, uh, the uh, I, I'm also I probably ruined the eggnog because I said I was going to bring in nutmeg and I didn't. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Why are you not a huge fan of like? No, 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 we can do it later. Yeah, but do you like a lot of nutmeg or no? Yeah, I do. So how was how was your uh, stuff? It there? was good. Just a little skin coat. It was, was good. Was you no? Was yours better or Piper's better? We threw his out. Oh, <laughs> boom! As soon as Piper's like away working, you like talk about his eggnog like it's garbage. No, he said I, we had to clean out the fridge yesterday, and I said, "What about this?" And he said, "It's garbage about his own eggnog." Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we can't talk crap about uh, Piper on the show because, as he says, my mom listens to this show, which I don't think she I does. I think they don't have internet, TV, they, yeah, phones. He's just I mean, trying to make us feel yeah. bad. It's like classic, like, salty sailor Piper talk there, right? Yeah. Yeah, makes no sense. They you can't know, it might be true. Yes? It might be a good show on Heritage Radio, salty sailor Piper talk. Yeah, except for the fact is, is like he would just stare the microphone down. Like you have to talk into it, Piper, because the people on the other side can't see you just staring, glaring at the microphone. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Anyways. Uh, so, anyway, so back to Tom Fisher's. Uh, for those of you that uh, didn't hear the other episode. Do you want to talk about the MoFat event first? Well, let me finish the okay, Tom Fisher thing. It's I can't believe, like, I'm actually trying to be on task for once, and you're, like, trying to well, pull me yeah. tangents. But, Hans, we'll do that in a second. Um, oh, and by the way, we have in the... Now, see, now I'm, now I'm in my brain. It's on a tangent. Thanks. We have some actual underground meats in the studio with us today that uh, Stas and I are going to start tasting during the break and then continue tasting after the break and talk about it. So we're very excited about that. Uh, anyway, back to Tom Fisher's eggnog. For those of you that don't remember, uh, Tom Fisher was making an, egg, uh, an aged eggnog, and we talked about the safety of it and then whether or not it would thicken up. In fact, it has thickened. An update on the aged eggnog from a few weeks back. As the recipe indicated, it has thickened and turned from an off-white to a slightly beige color. Was yours also beige? Yeah, it was beige. Uh, you know, Booker, my son, has to wear a uniform to school every day. Like, and it's this year it's maroon and khakis. And if you don't wear a uniform, he you get detention, right? Mm-hmm. Which frightens him because he, he like he takes a bus home and he's worried he's going to miss the bus. And he's like extremely nervous about this sort of thing. Uh, anywho, so he he calls khakis 
Kahakis. He's like, are these Kahakis? I don't want detention. I'm like, yes, yes, Booker, those are Kahakis. Anyway, so slightly beige color. However, milk fat is separated from the eggnog and floated to the surface. It looks and acts and tastes very much like uh, like the thickened cheese-like milk fat that rises to the top of unhomogenized milk. Should I strain it off and move on, or is there something nasty going on here? There are no odd smells or tastes. Hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Tom Fisher. Uh, Tom, dude, don't strain that sucker off. Whisk that fat back in, baby. You want the fat in the egg? No, you, like, did you get a, a crap on top? No. Well, if you had, wouldn't you have whisked it back yeah. in? Yeah. You, they, you, missed the, you missed the important third choice there, Tom. Stir that stuff back in. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I don't know why it destabilized. Uh, whatever, just stir it back in. I'm sure it's delicious. Uh, I did have an okay. Th- is this our first one thing since Thanksgiving? Yep. Wow, it seems like so long ago. How was your Thanksgiving stuff? Good. It was I, good. I saw you posted uh, like the entire family searing on the stairs. They loved it. Yeah. Yeah, they really loved it. Yeah, I liked it. There's a picture that Nastasha sent me of her mom using the sears all. And then the, the caption, which not shareable in public, of what she was shouting while she was using, unrelated to the Searsol, by the way, like completely, like, like a, a diatribe, completely unrelated to the actual Searsol. No, it was, because my dad was like, you need to hold it close. You need to hold it close. And then she was like... She, like, went off? I love it. Like, can you, can you share any of it with us? No. No, you know what? She, she did her famous <laughs> F.U. speech. <laughs> You know, uh, the, uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree on this one. And one thing I've learned, that Piper somehow is not, for years working with you, is like when you're using the Sears all, like trying to give you pointers, I'm like, Piper, are you a dunce? Like, you don't, t- you don't tell Nastasha how to use the Sears all while she's using it, right? That's a non-start. Yeah, you're right. It's a non-starting, non-starting thing. Uh, by the way, do we have Pierre on the phone yet? We do? Oh, awesome. So He's here. So uh, let's get Pierre on the phone. Uh, we're joined uh, via phone today, a good friend of ours, Pierre Cham, who is uh, uh, a chef here in New York and also uh, you know, from originally from Senegal, has what I think is the only, at least the only you know, one that I know of that's you know, good, uh, Senegalese cookbook in English uh, on the market here in, uh, in the U.S., it's an excellent book. It's also beautiful. The pictures are beautiful. And having gone to Senegal, he, he was the, the chef who sponsored the trip that we went over to Senegal, uh, which was a fantastic trip. Um, and anyway, Pierre, uh, g- uh, glad to have you on the show. How you doing? Hey, Dave. I'm well. Yeah? Good, good. I, I, by the way, I, you know, I was reading uh, – I, I the reason I called you today is uh, we had a, a question regarding um, TB Gen coming in. And so I figured – which, by the way, for those of you that don't know – like, it's kind of the national dish of Senegal, wouldn't you say, Pierre? It is the national dish. You want to you describe it really quickly for the folks? Uh, Chibujan is a wall of wood that translates simply rice and fish, but it's a little more complex than that. It's, um, I would say it's kind of a version of a paella. You know, if you go to the north of Senegal, that's where you see some other seafood involved with it, but the simple chebujan is really a, a fish, a firm, white flesh fish, could be a grouper, could be a snapper, sometimes bluefish, you know, it depends, and it's stuffed with a parsley mixture, the fish is stuffed with a parsley mixture, and it's cooked in a broth that has tomatoes and all the vegetables that are cooked, that comes with the chebujan, mostly root vegetables, cassava, yucca, sweet potatoes, cabbage, and, um, okra, and then the, that same broth, we cook rice in it. So the rice is cooked in that slow red tomato broth, and it comes with a, uh, the, the rice comes out right, bright red. That's why I was making the connection with paella. So um, that's basically what it is. You have a rice, red rice, a fish that's stuffed with parsley, a parsley mixture, and the broth that has uh, cooked first all the uh, root vegetables and the fish. And it finishes with a, 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 a such a tamarind actually, so it has a, 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 a sweet and sour end to the to the whole to the whole dish. Right, but they also like the the, the characteristic, like when you go to Senegal, right? Or the, the, what's amazing mm-hmm. is the different kinds of uh, fermented products. Yes, and, and, absolutely. Right. So. I mean, Ab- the gedge. Uh, Without the gedge, you don't have yourself a tea with gin, right? No, 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 no. Absolutely, absolutely. You, you're getting deep there. But you're right. The gedge is a, a big component of the chibujan. When you cook that broth, you add the gedge to it, and um, and the, the the gedge is in the in the in the, the tomato broth that I mentioned, 
and uh, the yet as well, another uh, fermented conch. The gedge is a fermented fish and the yet is a fermented conch. And both of these add that umami flavor to the chewigen, and that's very, very important. You just put a, a small portion of the gedge because it's very, very potent and very, very strong. So that's, that's what uh, makes that uh, fermented flavor to the chewigen. Right, it's potent and strong, and for people who aren't used to it, it's... You know, they're like a little freaked out by the aroma, but it's, the stuff is straight up delicious. The yet especially, I mean, the gedge, you, you, I guess you can eat the chunks straight a lot, but the yet, I can eat that after it's been like braised. I can just eat it, a lot of it. It's good. I love it. It's, it's, you know, it's an acquired taste for some people, but I mean, you and I, we, we really are adventurous, and I love the gadget. The yet, the yet is like, you know, it, it has that chewiness, but it's also fermented, so it, it breaks quite easy. If it's cooked for a long time, it, it, it breaks and digests pretty easily. It's delicious. I love it. Yeah, I mean, uh, another, before we get to the actual question, since you know, we have you on the phone, we don't get to have you on the phone very often, there's a lot of spices over there that I think have, uh, so I mean, obviously, uh, you know, Yet and Gedge are not uh, vegetarian, but there's a lot of fermented products in, uh, in Senegalese food that are really, really, really good for vegetarian cooking that have not become popular with chefs over here. And I think the one that strikes, pops right into my head right away is netutu. Yes, absolutely. Netutu is actually, it's a locust uh, from a tree, right? It's not a, a locust, a, an animal. Yeah, it's, it's like a le- legume a uh, pod from a tree, yeah. Exactly, a legume from a tree that's allowed to ferment. Uh, we call it netetu, but the fruit itself is called nere. And after the fermentation process, that becomes netetu. Um, and, uh, and also, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it adds an amazing flavor. It's very popular throughout West Africa. It's not only in Senegal, but you see it in, in, in Mali, in Guinea, even in Nigeria. And that's, uh, you know, it comes with different names. But that's the same exact uh, um, legume, fermented legume. And it's good for vegetarian. There's no, 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 no animal in it. Yeah, and uh, I mean, in rice dishes, in broths, it can all of a sudden, you know how like a lot of times a vegetarian rice dish, it's sometimes difficult to get the kind of power of flavor and umami you want. Netitude, bang. Delicious, yes. right? Um, uh, oh, it's amazing. You know, even, you know, the, uh, one, one way to prepare the netitude that I particularly like is in the south of Senegal, in Casamance, which next time we definitely have to make it to that part of Senegal, Dave, next time we go to Senegal. But you know how they cook it? They cook the rice, you know, as just a simple rice, white rice, let's say. And at the end of the cooking process, when the water has evaporated, you open your pot, the cover cover of the rice, and you you dig a hole in the middle of the rice, and that netetu, which you have uh, mixed with onion to make it, uh, you know, a grated onion to make it into a a ball, a liquid, uh, a, a, a thick paste, and that thick paste is just buried in inside the rice, and you just close it back and you allow it to sit there for like 10 minutes. No fire, just 10 minutes. The, the rice steaming with that netted to that netted to bowl. Are you, do you picture the, 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 what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, very, it's very simple. But it, does it that, perfume that, the whole it, thing? Pardon? Does it perfume it per- the whole yeah, thing? It perfumes, it perfumes the whole thing. It's just, and the netted to bowl itself has that uh, very, very flavorful rice slash ferment it's just an amazing. It's really difficult to describe. You have to taste it, but it's, it's delicious. It's could you could you do it in a rice cooker? Oh yes, absolutely. You can do it in a rice cooker. Again, once the water has evaporated, you just dig a hole in the rice, in the middle of the rice, and you put that bowl of netetu that you mixed with with onion. Just simply netetu and onion. You can add some chili pepper to bring some heat to it. But you make a small bowl, you know, the size of a less than a half of a fist. And you put it in the middle of the rice, in, and you close it back. Right. Do you and use the uh, the powdered netetu, the seeds, or the whole yes, pods? Yeah. The, the powdered netetu is fine. The whole pod is fine. But the powdered netetu, which is easier to have here in New York, you know, in the African market. And that's all you use, the powdered netetu. And that's why you add the onion, because the onion brings that, the, 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 the juice of the onion would make it into a paste, into a, you know, and the, and the paste. You can for, for shape it into a bowl, and that little bowl is the, what you what you put into the rice. Right, and for people who go out, and I hope they do, go to you know find local African markets and buy the netitude. Do not judge, do not judge what's going to happen to the food you cook 
based on the initial dry smell of the netetu. It's totally different <laughs> once it's cooked. Completely, completely. Yeah, that would, that would not, I mean, don't smell it, I guess. That would turn you off. You know, it's very strong, like I say, it's very, very potent. But David, you tasted it and uh, you know the difference. It's, uh, it's a drastic difference. It brings so much flavor to any dish, any dish. Vegetarian dishes, you feel like, you know, you, you haven't had anything vegetarian before because it's strictly vegetarian, but it's so much, so much flavor again, so much taste. Another thing over there that I thought was really interesting was uh, that you, I don't even know the name of it, but these fermented onion balls, these dried fermented onion balls that are like, they look like kind of crushed, they look like just chopped up onions and balls and fermented. We, we bought them in a, in a market. Yeah, and they, they, you know what, they, that's the one, they add some netitude to it. They ferment it. Are, you, are we talking about the one, it's already shaped, right? In yeah. A, in a ball or it's, it's yeah, it's already it's shaped onion. in a ball and dried. So it's very similar to what you're saying, just a dried version of it? Uh, exactly, yes, 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 exactly. Those yes. are delicious. It's great. It's delicious, yes. I'm glad you remember those. Yeah. They, they, they're amazing. They're really amazing. I didn't know they had right. the netitude in it already. Yeah, that stuff is great. Yeah, um, it's amazing. Another another spice that you don't get over here very often. That's more specialized for the cafe tuba. Although I'm I'm thinking I'm trying to get that on the menu at uh, at Booker and Dax at the bar. Is the uh, here's another thing. Like Wolof words are impossible for uh, English, you know, American English people to pronounce. I literally sat there for about ten minutes with the seller, if you remember this, trying to pronounce the spice, and I would think I was saying exactly what he was saying, but I wasn't. Jer. I can't pronounce it, so like, <laughs> yeah. I don't, how, do you, how do you say it in real life? Jar. 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 Yeah. Jar. Jar. Yeah, and now they're like, Jar? And he's like, no, 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 Jar. I'm like, <laughs> no, no, Jar. Yeah, 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 I can't get it. It's impossible to get. Uh, it's but, funny. Yeah, you should, you should, I, I can definitely taste your cocktails at, at the book and that's with, with, with that spice, Jar. I mean, uh, Anita, remember Anita? She came to the festival with us. Anita yeah, we're talking about Anita Lowe, by the way, folks. Uh, really amazing uh, chef here in New York. Go ahead. Yeah, she had a special with the jar at her restaurant for for quite some time. It was very popular, and she made a salad with it, with beet and goat cheese. Uh, very, very creative, and cocoa, cocoa powder too. I, I, I was amazed by by the flavor. Well, the, the interesting thing about it is it's got a lot of notes of – it's got some peppery notes, but it also has some more resiny notes and almost some like a kind of a – almost, I don't know, cardamomy notes and resiny notes. But That's it's, right. But it's not at all like – and people confuse it. It's not at all like what we call uh, Balinese long peppers. Totally different. Totally not, different not, flavor. Not. Um, and and I, I read in, in English that uh, the translation into English is – Get this one, Pierre. Grains of Selim. But I don't know if that's true or false because... Oh, you know what? I, that's the first time I heard about it at Anita, actually. She, she mentioned that when she was trying to translate it on her menu. She did say grain of Selim, but I didn't know that. You know, I really didn't know. And if, I didn't know that's what it was called in English. But, so uh, you know... It's called that in English, maybe, but no one uses it in English-speaking countries, so there's no point. I think it's much better to try and use the Wolof word. The problem is none of us can pronounce it properly. Uh, <laughs> but you know, they they use it there in in the in the Cafe Tuba, which is a great you know a great and very distinctive kind of Senegalese uh, drink. Uh, the Murids, uh, you know, the, this Sufi Brotherhood, mm-hmm. which by the way, they're extremely uh, they. Like, why you, you want to talk about the man? It's not really food, but give me give me a couple words on the Marids. Oh me! Are you talking about, about the Marids? The Marids are like um, a, a Sufi brotherhood, like you say. Senegalese Muslims are mostly from two two families, and they're all Sufis. Um, you don't really have the traditional strictly Sunnis in Senegal, and that's also one of the reasons why. The, the country is very tolerant because, uh, you know, they, they transcend the, the strictly orthodox uh, type of Islam. As you, you probably noticed, Dave, when you were in Senegal, you know, it's pretty, you know, it, it doesn't strike to you, strike to you as like a strict Muslim country. It's a, it's, it's a 90% Muslim country, but most of them are Sufis, you know, so they, they are very tolerant of other religions, you know, or, you know, it's, it's also a, 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 a lake country, not an Islamic country, so say. So you can you have your drinks, you can have your you, you know the the, the the bars are open, you know. Uh, to make a long story short, the Murid are following a, 
a man called Amadou Bamba who, who came to Senegal during the colonial time and he had a Pacific type of resistance could be compared to uh, to Gandhi in India, for instance, and uh, and uh, they 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 growing, they becoming, they probably are right now the the largest uh, Sufi group in the country. They're very powerful, they're self-reliable, they 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 very entrepreneurial. You know, you see a lot of Maurits traveling the world. You see many of the people you see, the Senegalese you see selling in the streets of, of New York City or Hong Kong or Paris are mostly Maurits and they, they you know, they, they, they that's a, like I said, entrepreneurial group. And this coffee that we're talking about, the drink that we're talking about, is called Cafe Tuba and Tuba is the name of the the holy city of the Maurits. You know, that's a city that's a couple hours from Dakar. The Maurits believe that Tuba is uh, is going to Tuba is as good as going to to, the, to Mecca. You know, the Maurits go to Tuba; they don't go to Mecca in pilgrimage, for instance. Um, so basically, that's uh, you know, in two minutes, that's what the Maurits are. All right. And uh, our question, by the way, our, to get back to the question that someone answered, the reason that we're on the uh, on the phone together, uh, they're going to be talking about rice now. We, yeah, as we said, tibijan is rice and fish. Rice incredibly important to it. Usually, it typically would have been made back in the day with broken rice, right, to thicken it up more. Oh, it, yeah, oh, it is still make, made in, with broken rice in Senegal, but you can make it with, with uh, you know, with, with regular jasmine rice or basmati rice. But in Senegal, uh, the, the true tibijan is with broken rice. Yes. Right. So that's going to release some of the starch in while it's cooking, which is going to be important for the thing that's coming up. But before I get into the question, um, so. For those of you that don't know kind of Senegalese geography at all, the Casamance is in the south, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, what Pierre was saying, the kind of the heart of Tibijen is in uh, San Louis, which is in the very north on the river, right? Yes, correct. So, uh, or not in the, or it's, well, it's in the northern part anyway, right? San Louis is northern. Yeah, yeah, it is by the river, you're right. Yeah, yeah. You're right about that. So, um, so the, the point is is that in Casamance, what a lot of people don't uh, think about is that the original rice of Casamance is not Asian rice. The original rice of Casamance is, uh, is Glabarima rice, which was uh, actually domesticated um, in Africa and I think probably in Senegal and in Gambia, right? I mean that's originally mm-hmm. where it comes from. Uh, that's right. Now, those rices have been – even locally, except for in small areas, completely uh, replaced, unfortunately, with uh, with Asian rice. Correct or not correct? That's correct. Yes. Now, would Tibujen originally been made with the glabarima, or would, or is that, in other words, do they would they also have had the glabarima up in San Luis, or would it always there have been made with uh, the Asian rice? No, no, no. It was always the glabarima until until colonial time, until we started to import rice that originally came from the other part of the French colonial empire, like the whole Vietnam region, and now our rice is unfortunately imported. I say unfortunately because people prefer to import rice rather than using the local, and it's imported from, from Indonesia and you know, Southeast Asia. But uh, originally, no, the rice came from, from Kazamas, from the, the same region, because it wasn't only Kazamas and Gambia, but you know, you had the Glaberima, is also in Guinea, in Sierra Leone, in, in Liberia. It was the African rice, you know, and that rice is as ancient as, as far as, uh, you know, um, anthropologists are concerned, is as ancient as the Asian rice. So, you know, so we have two families, two major families of rice, the, the, the African rice and the, and the Southeast Asian rice. Right. That came about the same time. You know, I don't remember, because we, like, we didn't get to go to Casamance when I went there, but I don't know that we even had Glabarima when we were over there, did we? I, I pro- we probably didn't know. We didn't have Glaberima because, again, like I said, the whole northern part of Senegal is, 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 is eating imported rice. Remember, one of the reasons why we, we, we had this event is to, to just pro- promote local cuisine and, to, and to, to, to showcase what we really have and, 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 and to change the the, the, the people ways of thinking that when it comes from elsewhere it's better than what we have at home and that's unfortunately the case in, 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 in many of the cities in Africa you know we import 
a lot of our food and 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 the local goods are eaten by the in the country by by the you know the rural area but in the urban areas people think it's best to or to import food from 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 elsewhere and the, and the, the asian rice is still very very popular in the northern part of Senegal in Senegal in St. Louis in Dakar and it's competing with the, the traditional the glaberima because the glaberima is still being grown in a very artisanal way so it's not industrial it just comes a few months out of the year like a couple months when the harvest comes and then you know it, it's finished but it's it's uh, you know it's changing gradually now if people are people are realizing that not only Glaberema is healthier, right? But it has another flavor that you, you, unfortunately you, you didn't get to, to experience when we were there. I'm trying to find a way to bring some Glaberema here in New York, and we will definitely have a taste of it. Yeah, sure. Get, you know, get New Yorkers like uh, like me to pay uh, a premium for it, and then maybe it'll get more respected where where it comes from. Except for then, you you might have the uh, whatever. When I was over there, everyone was talking about the quinoa problem. You make something that's popular, and then all of a sudden, the people who make it and re- rely on it can no longer afford it. So it's it's very hard to yeah. win. You know what I mean? It's hard, it's hard to win, but you know that's a good problem to have. Hopefully, the quinoa experience will help us deal with you know with that problem before it it it, it occurs. But yeah. uh, it's really something we need to 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 to, to work on because. That would be so unfortunate to to have you know species like this disappear because of you know competition. They they great species. All right, so listen, we have a caller who's we're gonna we're gonna take them together, Pierre. Whatever the caller is gonna ask, but uh, then after that, before we go to break, we're gonna get to the question, which is about the crispy rice at the bottom of the Tibujan. Someone wants to know how to make it, and so I figured the best way is to get a, a official Senegalese cook <laughs> on the on the rib. But the caller, you're on the air. Hello. Hey. Yeah, I have a couple questions on low temp cooking. Oh, sure. Uh, specifically, I have a few friends that are pregnant, and I'm wondering uh, about trade offs in cooking to pasteurize or, or being safe when cooking for people that are pregnant. Um, and, you know, balancing for like fish, beef, and chicken against, you know, texture and quality. Yeah. Um, and then also wondering about, you know, storage guidelines for uh, low temp cooking, so without a vacuum. Right. So when I'm cooking for uh, pregnant people with a circulator, which I have a lot, um, when you're cooking eggs for Benedict's, just cook them at 62 for a full hour and they're good. You're safe. Um, When you're doing any other meat cuts, I go to pasteurization temperatures. So like for a 55-degree steak, you're going to want to let it go for probably – I mean it's it's overkill, but once the core reaches – temperature like 120 minutes or something like that that's actually overkill but i like to overkill when i'm dealing with this because you don't want it to be your fault so it's going to take you sear the you sear the outside uh you know you you, and then you cook it um it'll you know a normal size rib steak will probably start its uh kill uh kill stuff within uh at the center it'll start killing within probably you know 40 minutes or so and then uh after it reaches that killing stage you hold it for the 120 for this kind of a thing i really recommend getting one of the uh iphone or ipad apps like sous vide dashboard or you know the polyscience one because they're good at uh just figuring out exactly based on the thickness like how long it's going to take to get to a temperature when it comes to fish fish is kind of a pain in the butt it's impossible to pasteurize most fishes and still have them taste good uh, fish is fish, uh, and uh, so uh, ones that can tolerate it are the firm flesh white fish. So stripers are good um, because you can cook a striper, you know, at fifty five, fifty six, fifty seven. It's firm; it may be firmer than you normally like to cook it, but it's still it hasn't gone dry. And f- the meatier white fish like that are better when they're overcooked as opposed to. Uh, you know, overcooked, uh, you know, tuna is wretched. Over, you know, overcooked salmon, even at those temperatures, is pretty wretched. But a striper can kind of put up with that sort of uh, thing. So those things can be, um, those things can be done. The if you don't have a vacuum, the question, you know, you putting it in a Ziploc. Uh, I, you know, I, 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 it's hard for me to give actual guidelines for uh, storage times. I've, I'm always like when I'm cooking for someone. 
I'm kind of like just hyper about it uh, when I'm cooking for either pregnant or someone who's you know hospitalized or sick. So I tend not to store things for a long time unless I have to because I'm the only person that can cook for them and I only see them once a week. And you should be okay for that, especially if they're doing a retherm. And if they do a retherm, they can do like a temporary retherm in, in like a really hot bath before they bring it up slowly to temperature, and, and you should be all right. Does that uh, answer the questions? Um, yeah, thank you. And, and I'm in for a few years off. And what? Oh, really cool! I'm awesome! For, yeah. Oh, yeah. sweet, sweet. Well, enjoy, enjoy. We're gonna we'll talk more about it either later or uh, ne- next week about kind of some new uses we found and where we are in the uh, in the thing. But thanks so much for backing us. Have a good one. All right, thanks. Bye. All right, Pierre. Here we are back on the back on the rice and the tibujin. Okay, <laughs> so this word, which is wolof, which uh, I will not uh, will not attempt to pronounce. X O O and then N with the N on it. How do you say that? The r- crispy rice at the bottom. Oh, oh, yeah, you, come from, from, <laughs> you, got, you have to come from the from the back of your throat. Like, uh, it's clo- close to the Spanish uh, hota, you know. Yeah. Oh man, that's just, that's just impossible. <laughs> that's impossible, Pierre. So, <laughs> so to, to backtrack, in case you know you're just joining in. So, Tiva Jen, you take your rice. I mean, you take your fish. You slice it. You stuff it with uh, like a, a herb mixture. You cook it a little bit with oil and onions, then you uh, make a broth, and then you put the rice in. You cook with tomato. You cook it with the broth and the root vegetables. The the rice soaks up the liquid, but in the bottom of the pot, you get this crispy – say that again? Hoin. Hoin. And And for many people, this is their favorite part, yes? Oh, yes. It's a, it's a must. You know, perfect Kyabujin, you have to have that golden crust, golden brown crust. From the bottom of the pot, when you cook the chewujin, it comes on the side, and uh, and that that story, it really is a great way to, to enjoy your your chewujin. It adds texture to it. It has that crispy texture to the to the to the moist rice, and um, I, I love it. I really love it. Right, so so gi- much flavor to it. So give me the secrets. Is it the the pot, the heat, the combination of the heat and the pot? Is it the oil that goes in the bottom? I mean, I'm sure the yep. oil has something to do with it, but just tell us like the secrets to get a good one. Absolutely, the oil, the oil and the pot. You know, when you when you cook it first, you start when you start the chibujin, you start with the oil and the tomatoes, right? You cook the oil and the tomatoes. Allow it to cook slowly until the tomatoes are cooked. You know, you could use tomato and tomato paste actually, and you allow it to cook slowly, slowly until the tomato goes from red to like really dark red, almost black, but you don't want to burn it. You don't want to burn it, but as you cook it, if you see that it's starting to burn, add water a little bit at a time, like a tablespoon to two tablespoons at a time. But slowly, you know, that's before you add your water that's going to cook the rice and the vegetables and everything else. You have to cook only oil and tomato. Uh, Am I making sense here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So once you cook it to that point where the tomatoes are cooked and the sugar is released, because you're releasing sugar, you realize, you realize there's a caramelization that's happening. That's why the tomato is going from red to almost black, but not black. You don't want it to be burnt again. But that sugar is going to, that sugar, combination of the sugar and the oil are going to be the, 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 the agent that will crisp your rice. So, yeah. And you know, so, there's there's a, like a lot of cultures have this love of the crispy bottom of the of the thing. In uh, Iranian cooking, you have the yeah, you, know, yeah, yeah. you know they have the crispy stuff at the at the bottom. Uh, you know, I think they they use binders like egg and yogurt in theirs, right? They cook it and then they do the egg and the yogurt. I forget. It's been a long time since I've looked up the recipes for that stuff. And then also in South, South Carolina, you know, cooking of South Carolina on the old style, which probably is all from uh, West Africa anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. You know the, they have these crispy, uh, crispy casserole rice dishes. The difference is tibujin is not turned out like a like a like a casserole dish. It's like it's like, it's scooped out of the pot and then the crust is served separately, right? It's presented on yeah. a platter. Yeah, it, it is served separately, exactly. Served separately, or if you eat around in a bowl like we eat traditionally, it's served on the corner of the bowl. You know, it, it, it comes on a platter, but you know they put it on the corner to to the people who will be eating the crust because not everyone eats the crust you know we try to like 
take it for, you know, the, the mature people. You don't give it to the kids, you give it to the older people. So it's just the whole the whole cultural thing behind behind, you know, who's allowed to have part of that crust. And, you so, know, and, Another interesting thing about the crust I'm wondering is is that you know one of the strange things about uh, about uh, Senegalese cooking right now that I, you know I just heard from you know, listening to the we went to a seminar about it uh, is that people are using more and more oil not for the taste but just as a sign of being able to use more oil in it and do you think that's affecting the way that the the crust is being formed in general in the average tibujan or affecting cooking in general in Senegal and the way things taste now versus the way they would have tasted uh, you know 80 100 years ago it, it is affecting it is it's affecting the way people yeah the way people are eating it's for some reason it is seen seen as a sign of of um of wealth you know if the more oil you use the more uh, affluent you are. Uh, that's something that came up, I believe, also again in colonial times and gradually when peanut oil arrives, you know, peanut oil at first was palm oil for us, you know, the traditional palm food oil was our, our, our oil of choice. And, uh, and peanut oil became something, uh, pretty, pretty popular with this year, you know, the French factories came and they made peanut oil and peanut was also one of those, uh, you know, crops that was, uh, people don't realize, but peanut was, was imported to Senegal. It was not uh, a traditional Senegalese crop. You know, it came from the Americas, as a matter of fact. We had, we had something similar to peanut, ground nuts, you know, but uh, it, wasn't, it, wasn't as, uh, it wasn't used the way peanut oil is used right now. So anyway, it became a sign of affluence because, again, you know, we wanted to be like the colonials. So, you know, as... Uh, the colonials use that oil we use. The more we use, the more affluent we are. And it, it, came, it came into our, our recipes, too. And now you see people using more peanut oil into their rice. And uh, it, came, it, also, it also brought some, some, some diseases. Unfortunately, some diseases got imported with it. You see um, diabetes, for instance, which wasn't part of, our, you know, of the illnesses that existed in Senegal. It's something that's very popular now because of that change of diet, you know, and uh, the excess of sodium. All those things are, 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 are affecting the 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 the, the population. Uh, unfortunately, due to the change of diet again. But um, the, to get back to your question, with the hoi, the crust, and the oil, that's really the the oil is very important to it, but it doesn't have to be in excess. You know, it's important to have the first step to when you prepare that rice, the oil and the tomato, starting the cooking process, have enough oil, but it shouldn't be, uh, you know, more than a, a couple of tablespoons of oil, you know, for a, a nice pot of rice. And you cook it slowly, again, cook it slowly before you add, once the tomatoes are cooked and nicely caramelized, then you add your water, allow the water to boil, and then you add the rice. And you cook, and you close the rice at that stage, and you just close it and lower the the, the heat, you know, to a simmer, just mm-hmm. like you would cook regular rice. And you forget about it now. Do not touch that part until all the water, all the juice that tomato broth has evaporated. Once it has evaporated, still allow it to sit for a moment, and uh, then you fluff your rice. You redistribute the tomato. You have your bright red rice. And you realize at the bottom of that pot, that crust, that coin that we're talking about has formed, you know. So you pull out the rice and with a spoon, to, uh, you know, you just take out the crust, you know, with, you know, it takes some, some little strength to it, but you pull out the crust with the, and just, just rake the bottom of that pot. And that's how you get the crust, you know, just allow it to cook slowly. First of all, just again, let the tomato cook and caramelize before you add the rice. And then do not touch it, do not stir it. Let the, let the crust form in the bottom. Very, 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 very simple process, actually. All right, well, beautiful, Pierre. Uh, Pierre's book, which has a recipe for Tibujan in it, is Yolele, right? Yolele still available right now on Amazon. It's got, I mean, yeah. it's, it's the only one available, right? It's the only one in English available, yes. Yeah, and, well. uh, yeah. And uh, as a matter of fact, there's another book coming up next fall. So we're working on it. It's still a, a, a working title, Senegal, From the Source to the Table. You'll hear about it. They've 
All right, Absolutely. well, come come on the show and we'll push it. Absolutely, will. All right, thanks, Pierre. Thanks for talking uh, talking crust. Honyu, honyu, hon- I can't pronounce it. Honyu, All right, we're gonna take a commercial break and we'll be right back. Thanks, Pierre. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> Underground Meats is an American producer of handcrafted salami and cured meats in Madison, Wisconsin. They use small farms from southwest Wisconsin to source their meat. The animals are raised on pasture for their entire lives by farmers who care about animal welfare. While Underground Meats uses European traditions, they also use ingredients from the upper Midwest to try to create new types of salamis, experimenting with both ingredients and techniques. The salamis are made using heritage breeds, mostly red wattles, tamworts, berkshires, and mule foots. Try their award-winning cured pork shoulder and goat salami. To learn more and purchase products, visit shop.undergroundfoodcollective.org or stop by their butcher shop in Madison, Wisconsin. Cooking issues, or welcome back to Cooking Issues. So we're tasting the underground meats, and um, let me get this straight: the ones that they sent us are all—they're all goat. You said. Pretty sure it's all goat salami, right? Yeah, salumi. Yeah, goat, goat lumi. And so we're tasting. What, what are we tasting here, Stas? That one is Finocchione. You just had pepper. Mm. These things are good. These things are good. Now, for those of you that don't know, Underground Meats recently had a Kickstarter of their own. Uh, and they have successfully funded it, and they are now going to work on a HACCP plan uh, so that they can get HACCP certification. They can do challenge uh, studies, they get, and then everyone can use it. So look for these guys to help anyone listening uh, to create a, a, a HACCP plan. It's going to allow them to um, make their own salumi business without having to go through all the expense. Which one's this one, Stas? That one is goat salami, just goat salami. That's good. And then this one is Sassion Sec. Mm. That goat salami is good business. What do you think? I haven't had any yet. She had to take out out her gum. (laughs) Hmm. It's really good. Really good stuff. All right. So, um, I mean, the obvious thing tasting it. I'm not going to, like, torture you guys with sitting here eating. I'll wait until we're off mic tor- and just sitting here eating uh, delicious salumi. Uh, but you gave the web address, undergroundmeats.com? www.undergroundmeats.com. Is that good? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway, so the point is that um, you taste it. It's, um, you know, most of them anyway, the ones that are tender, are um, a low-acid product, which means a lot of times when you're having a salumi, someone produces, they just try to, uh, they jack the acidity right away to kill off anything that's in it. It also kind of covers up faults in the meat and faults in the curing, but from a very high acid kind of salami. You've had that happen before, Stas, mm-hmm. right? When you eat someone's salami plate, it's just super high acid. Mm-hmm. Lactic acid is. Uh, and uh, these, um, you know, at least a, a lot of them from the ones I've tasted so far, don't taste like super high acid. I mean, they're really taking a lot of care uh, in it. Uh, and you can you can tell that they really care about what they're doing. It's a delicious product. Stas, Stas is no longer going to be listening because she's just pounding. <laughs> no, you haven't had all of them. All right, all right, all right. Okay. Uh, oh, we should talk about. Uh, we should talk. We have only a couple minutes left, I guess. We should talk about um, the MoFad event. So MoFad, the Museum of Food and Drink, uh, is doing its. So we have the Puffing Gun, which is kind of going underground right now, but they're. Uh, we're rejiggering it again to be able to take it to schools, hopefully after the um, winter break. They call it winter break now. It's winter break. Oh, mm-hmm. by the way, if you're out there, uh, we don't actually have a way to send you a uh, – do you know I was realizing this on the Sears All, uh, on the thing that we're doing, that um, we said we were going to send people cards for Christmas. We don't have their email addresses. They don't – Kickstarter doesn't give you the email addresses until the Kickstarter is over. So I don't oh, know how the heck we're going to do that. We've got to figure that out because I was going to yeah. say we could send you – you know, you still have a couple days left to purchase a future Searsall as a as a Hanukkah present for somebody. So if you want to, 
But we can't say we can't send you a card saying blah blah. We can put one up that people can print out. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is a holiday card. Holiday card. Well, if someone buys it for Hanukkah, it's not a holiday card. It's a freaking Hanukkah card. If someone buys it for Christmas, it's a it's a. And if someone has a generic holiday, then we will send them a generic holiday card. No. Sure. No. Anyway, I mean, if you can be specific, be specific. If you cannot be specific, be generic. No. Mm-hmm. Is that is that a bad? No. I, well, we can do that. Okay. Uh, so uh, we have uh, we have a question. In, oh, wait, wait, museum, museum, food and drink. On Thursday, we have our first ever forum that we're running. Uh, I'm going to be the moderator. So uh, you know, Peter Kim, the uh, director of the museum, there specifically tells me that I'm not supposed to interject any actual personal opinions into this, which is going to be it's going to be very difficult. I'm not used to not interjecting personal opinions. But uh, the whole point is, is that we are um, we're trying to have a debates w- about food where we actually get both sides of the argument in, and not just freak show hacks, but uh, you know, uh, paper tigers and whatnot to fight each other. But real, as smart, uh, smart, and, and as good a people as we can get from either side of a debate to come together in a moderated discussion uh, in front of people that we're going to record and then um, later make available to everyone who can't be there. And the first one that we're going to tackle is the soda ban. And do you have the information for that stuff? Yeah, I do. So it's this Thursday. Uh, December 5th at 6.30 p.m. at the CUNY School of Public Health. It's free online if you go to roundtable.mofad.org. And it's hosted by Dave. And there's um, Joel Berg from the NYC Coalition Against Hunger, Nicholas Freudenberg from the NYC Food Policy Center, some guy named Park Wild from Tufts University. <laughs> some guy. Well, I mean, whoa, whoa, it doesn't whoa. have as <laughs> Jay, Jay, Justin Wilson for the Center for Consumer Freedom and Lisa Young from NYU. So it should be a spirited uh, debate, and uh, you know, it, uh, some guy, some guy, some place, <laughs> Tufts. Some guy. He doesn't say his position. Yeah, all right, all right. Anyway, so that should be fun, and we'll report back uh, and tell you how to uh, tune in to listen to the yeah, thing. Yeah, Joe's if you're covering getting... it. Sweet. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. be there. Sweet. So uh, you excited, Joe? I am. I'm really excited. Should I Should I get all frothy at the mouth and no. like uh... – like, like we have to. Ch- I've never moderated. I have to choose a moderation style. Do I want to be like the total like mellow moderator? Do I do I go like Tim yeah, Russert? I don't think you can be mellow in this situation. But I mean, what do you do, Tim Russert style? You remember Tim Russert? It'd be like um Charlie Rose. Yeah, that'd be good. What about what about Piers Morgan? Mm, no, he gets involved. Uh, yeah, but like that's the thing. Like that's that's about as least involved as I could get. It's probably kind of like a Piers Morgan kind of a situation. I would like to see you really try to not. Like people won't know either. You know what? Stas doesn't care about the actual quality of the event. She only Um, wants to see me squirm and not interject (laughs) my opinion. That's the only thing she really cares about. I know your opinion. Oh, I think you should show up in like an umpire, baseball umpire uniform. Take that route. I thought you were going to say a yellow unitard. Well, that that would also be interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I don't dress in unitards anymore. Uh, Okay, so uh, we have that going on, and then we have to take a question in because uh, I don't want to run out of time before we do it. Here's the question. Uh, from Zach in Pittsburgh. Uh, I know you love stock. Please help me out. Some places say use roasted bones for a tasty stock. Other places say use raw ingredients for a tasty stock. Obviously, they both can't be done at the same time. Or can they? What's your take on the issue? Have a good one, Zach from Pittsburgh. Well, okay, look. To me, they're just uh, they're just totally different, right? So if you uh, – a roasted uh, meat – I mean pff, white – if you're making a white stock – you want to have uh, – I mean you need like maybe some bones in there for collagen, but you need some more meat to kind of uh, bolster it. And by the way, on a non-roasted uh, bone thing, I consider if you cook a chicken, let's say, or or whatever, and you take the carcass from that cooked chicken and you throw that into a pot, that might as well be a white, a white stock as far as I'm concerned, non-roasted because you're not having any uh, kind of brown on it. Now – in general, I don't know that I agree with this. I mean, they taste very different, but people tend to say that. Uh, well, look, it's obvious the browned ones, the roasted ones, have that brown roasted flavor to it. So you have that, you know, that flavor. If that's the flavor you're looking for, then you need the roasted bones. Period. Uh, now, if what you want is just clean meat flavor and you don't want all those browning things, then you can go for a uh, for a white stock. I will say this. Most of the meat that we buy 
before it's cooked, it's pretty flavorless. And the reason it's flavorless is because it's usually – well, it's not cooked uh, and it's also very kind of young. If you want to do a white stock, let's say a, a white broth of chicken, you're going to want to get an old hen, a stewing hen because that sucker, even if you don't roast it, is going to have a delicious flavor. If I had a really delicious hen that you know was old, had been laying eggs its whole life and then stopped you know laying eggs so they – popped it and then you know you have that thing to to cook that guy i probably wouldn't roast it because i would rather have the pure flavor of the chicken coming through if you're having a broiler chicken that's only a couple of weeks old and you have a bunch of carcasses of it right because you've used the meat for some other purpose because the meat's very tender because it's really too young and hasn't developed a lot of flavor well then i would roast the hell out of those things because the fact of the matter is there's not much flavor going on in there if you have a you know you know, most veal, we're roasting off all the veal stuff because veal really hasn't, I mean, I love veal, but veal really hasn't developed that much flavor yet. So you roast it, you get a lot kind of more flavor. If you have something that you don't necessarily, if you're making a stock like pork, pork, you better cook that sucker. Like a raw pork stock smells kind of like raw, do you like a raw smell of raw raw pork stock, Stas? I don't think like I've ever smelled it. It's really, well, really porky, but not necessarily in the way that like... Pleasing. Yeah. You know how there's like good porky and there's bad porky? And it never used to bother me except for when we went through – remember when we went through that period where we were boiling all those pork skins for making chicharrones? Mm-hmm. And like all we smelled for days was the boiling pig skins? So anything that reminds me of boiling pig skins, uh, like anything that reminds me of like kind of also like – I love tripe, but tripe before you prepare, like anything that kind of – you know how they kind of have that bleachy weird thing from when they prepare – like uh, – I love tripe though. But anyway, my point is is that like usually for a pork stuff, I'm going to roast it off. Uh, chicken, like young chickens roasted off. Old animals that have a lot of flavor, they can get away with being more purely the meat flavor. Now, yeah, you can always have the best of or the worst depending on how you look at it of both worlds. If you have, if you have a – like a really meaty uh, – Meat, you can you can kind of mix and match, or you could get something in between. You could get the cleanliness of a white uh, a white stock, an unroasted stock, and then also uh, get some of the brown stuff. Just mix the two together. In general, if it is a bolstering effect you want, uh, then I would use uh, roasted. If it's a kind of meaty palate that you want to draw over, and you don't want the extra notes of the roast, well then hell. Don't roast it. Uh, that's uh, that's your choice. Um, so anyway, I think you can do both. Uh, especially here's one for you. If you want to do uh, Remy, so you, what you do is you do an initial roasted stock uh, in a in a pressure cooker quick, and then do uh, not a Remy, sorry, a second stock. Uh, then you could redo the stock with fresh meat, like you would for a classic kind of consommé thing, only with more meat than you would for a classic consommé, and then get the freshness of that meat out of it. That might be a good way to get the both. both Best of both worlds. All right, listen, they're going to kick me off the air, but on my way out, we got some good stuff coming up on the Sears Off. You tune into the Kickstarter. We're going to put some stretch goals in. I think we're going to give some extra screens as a stretch goal. Maybe we're talking about trying to include one of the clamps. We're going to see if we can make it work. We're going to be talking about, uh, for all you Iwatani lovers out there, which is a type of torch, whether or not we're going to be able to support the Iwatani uh, in time for the Kickstarter to be over. Maybe some European torches. Uh, one more thing. I need your help. Tweet me in. I'm looking for a source for anyone who's from South America. Kamu Kamu, which is a delicious fruit that unfortunately also has a lot of antioxidant power. So everyone sells it as powdered Kamu Kamu, which is gross. I need Kamu Kamu puree here in the U.S. If anyone has a source, let me know at Cooking Issues. Kamu Kamu puree has to be red, has to be delicious, has to be puree. Cooking Issues. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.